1: Welcome back to The Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim su Ann and T. Shao ik in the studio with me as well. So if you're just joining us now, uh, before the break, we spoke to constitutional lawyer New Sin Yu, about the state of emergency that was declared by the Yang Di Agung Agong this morning. So if you missed that, you want to catch that, um, it will be available on podcast on our website at bfm.my, on our app or other places where you might get your podcast. Um, and now on to another news that has also been making headlines, although not as recently as this morning perhaps. Ah, uh, yes, well, that
2: was yesterday. So the Health Director General, Tan Sri Dr. Nohisham Abdullah, shared on his Facebook page that the B117 COVID-19 strain or variant has been detected in our country. So it's been detected in an individual who had traveled to the UK in December and was found to be infected with a new variant of the virus yesterday. That's 11th of January. Um, the DG reassured that since October and the MOH has been monitoring travelers from all countries that have reported the B one one seven variant, and this includes the UK, Netherlands, Singapore, Turkey, the Philippines, and India. So what we know now is that this variant is makes um, the disease more transmissible, but it does not cause symptoms that are worse than usual.
1: Mm. And so this this new variant, um, like you said, which is named B one one seven, was officially detected in the UK in mid December twenty twenty. But um, you know they've suspected that cases, um, and they found that cases involving this variant is believed to have been around. Uh, in the uk since september last year and in a matter of months you know what they saw from the data was that this variant went from non-existent to the most common form of the virus in some parts of england so for example in November um, in london uh, around a quarter of cases were the new variant and it re- reached nearly two-thirds of cases by mid-december and so early studies of this variant found that um, this was a form of the virus or mutation of the virus that was much more transmissible because of three things so it's rapidly replacing other versions of the virus that are circulating. It has mutations that affect part of the virus that's likely to be important. And some of these mutations have already been shown in a lab to increase the ability of the virus to infect um, cells in someone. So all of this just come together to make this variant of uh, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus a lot more transmissible than what is usually circulating in our population.
2: Mm, But experts don't actually have absolute certainty that it does spread more easily because new strains could actually become more common by simply being at the right place Mm. at the right time when uh, other environmental and social factors lead to um, higher transmission of Mm. the disease. However, of course, experts also said that the government or governments can't afford the weeks or months to obtain more data before taking action and limiting the spread. Mm. So much of the UK, particularly England, was then placed under strict Tier 4 lockdown to quickly intervene and other countries across Europe, Asia and South America America, have also taken preventive steps by restricting travel from the UK.
1: Mm. I, I remember, um, you know, back in December, all of this was happening really quickly. Like mm-hmm. the moment the reports of this new variant that's um, seemingly more transmissible uh, came out in the news, you know, a lot of countries, even the UK government itself, like very quickly, like we need to clamp down. because yeah, right. like you said, you can't afford to wait until things get worse before you take decisions. I think that is
2: a mantra for this whole pandemic. We <laughs> cannot afford to be slow, right? Mm. To to take delay, uh, to have a delayed reaction. The virus
1: is a Lot faster than I us. I know. <laughs> um, and and this situation with the B one one seven variant is quite similar to when we had the D six one four G variant in the community, um, even here in Malaysia around July last year. Um, and you know, news reports at the time said that the variant was um, almost ten times more infectious than the usual uh, variants around. And in Malaysia, large clusters like the Tawa cluster, the Sibaganga cluster, were reported to be linked to that variant. Um, hence, you know, the number of people that were Involved in these clusters, hence mm-hmm. why that number was so large uh, mm-hmm. compared to other clusters that we were seeing. Um, but of course, the health D- uh, director general at the time um, said that the ministries of health's quick intervention to isolate these COVID nineteen patients, to isolate individuals who were exposed to these positive cases, were able to successfully control virus transmission. So really, again, zeroing in on the need of quick intervention. You can't just wait and see until, you know, wait and see how things develop. Mm,
2: That's right. But we can't sit on our laurels because now we are recognising that the B one one seven variant has already arrived on our shores. We're also seeing reports of other variants from other countries. Just a few days after the UK reported that new variant, South Africa also detected another, which has been circulating in several provinces since mid-November and preliminary studies show increased transmissibility of that variant as well. And over the weekend, Japan said that they detected another new variant in four travellers arriving from Brazil, which shares some mutations with those of concern for increased infectivity.
1: Mm, I, I think it's easy to get concerned when you see all these news reports coming in, not just from one news source, but across multiple different news sources, local and overseas as well, right? Mm-hmm. So and what then, do we make of it, right? Yeah, because, you know, we as lay people, we don't know if this is normal, if this is something and to be worried about. we hear the
2: word <laughs> mutation, which is very alarming. Um, It just makes us think of, uh, it just makes us blow things out of proportion a bit, perhaps. Um, I think how, so. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do we understand what all these different variants actually mean?
1: Mm. So, well, here to talk us through um, what all these mean is public policy specialist Dr. Kwasi King. Um, thanks for joining the show, Dr. Kwasi. So, we mentioned all these variants that have been grabbing headlines and attention. How concerned do you think we should be about these new variants? And um, what do we know so far about the impact of these variants on the severity of the disease and its infectivity?
0: First, we have to begin by understanding what is a variant. A variant is um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus that has undergone mutations. Uh, And the SARS-CoV-2 virus, or let me call it the COVID-19 virus because that's more easily understood, will definitely undergo mutation. Now, the second question we ask ourselves is how often are these mutations? And the answer is one to two mutations per month in the last one year for COVID-19. And that's a very slow evolutionary rate compared to other viruses. The interesting thing about the B one one seven variant that was discovered in the UK around uh, the first week of December twenty twenty is that uh, there were seventeen mutations all at once. Previously, there was um, one or two mutations per month, so we have accumulated about twenty mutations in total. But all at once, the B one one seven variant had seventeen mutations. Now, is that worrying? It may not be because the first, uh, the third thing I'll introduce over here is a concept of something that we call biological significance. Uh, I wish I could give you a number to but we don't know. Mm. And significance means different things to different people as well. But let me give a rough number: seventy to eighty percent of the mutations for a virus do not have a biological significance. Only about twenty to thirty percent of the mutation of mutations in the plural sense. Have biological significance. And then we can argue about how significant is significant, right? Because it could be minimally significant, moderately significant, or very significant. So then I reach the final part of my answer for now, which is at the moment, scientists are still figuring out exactly how significant is the B117 variant. It has 17 mutations all at once, which is quite worrisome. Eight of those 17 mutations are on something called the spike protein. And the spike protein is how the virus attaches itself to human cells. And any one of those eight mutations could be clinically significant or biologically significant. I'll end by saying some headline numbers. But the the information is still coming to us. The headline numbers are up to 50 to 70% increased transmissibility, which means it's 50 to 70% more infectious compared to other variants. But we're still figuring out uh, the final number, and we're also figuring out uh, right now uh, whether or not the vaccines will continue to be effective against this variant.
2: We'll get to the vaccines in a bit, but yesterday the Health DG said that MOH has detected a case where the individual had the B one one seven variant after travelling in from the UK. Should this be something that we uh, should be worried about?
0: Uh, in one isolated case of the B 117 one seventeen one seventeen variant travelling to Malaysia, no. But it was. But let me provide some caveats, right? Mm-hmm. The first one is it was always inevitable that the B one one seven variant would arrive in Malaysia. If Inevitable. Given the nature of international travel, uh, we understand from a tweet, we should wait for the official press statement. But in the tweet uh, uh, from the of Health, he mentions that uh, it is a Malaysian citizen, 22-year-old male, who's uh, come back in a tweet that he, he uh, put up last night. Um, so it was always inevitable that the variant would come to Malaysia. Secondly, one uh, person uh, will probably not be, uh, of course, there's a theoretical risk, but one uh, person with a variant uh, is probably a much lower risk compared to, for example, 100 or 1,000 people with the variant. There, is there a theoretical possibility? Yes. However, what do we do with uh, people who come back? We will isolate them as normal, uh, and this does not provide a, a possibility for the um, variant uh, to, to sort of manifest. What we probably need to do for this person with the B one one seven variant, uh, as a perhaps a special precaution, is to take some additional precautions in the person's isolation, but balancing that against the person's human right to have uh, equal access to healthcare in ways that protect his dignity.
2: And when the new variant was detected, a number of countries implemented travel restrictions to and from the UK. Was that a viable solution to preventing the spread of the variant if, like you say, the arrival of the variant is inevitable?
0: We, we have to approach this in uh, two ways: uh, divided by time uh, and knowledge. say so in the beginning, early stages of time, we have little knowledge. So it's understandable that countries will throw up uh, um, entry barriers uh, for travellers from the UK and South Africa as was evidenced uh, in the holiday period, December, Christmas period, uh, by when nations in Europe uh, raised barriers and prevented entry from Great Britain or the United Kingdom. So in the early stages of uh, um, a variant, little knowledge is available. Therefore, countries uh, probably uh, are more inclined to throw up their barriers. This is understandable. Now, let's go forward in time where we have a bit more knowledge. And what happens then is that our risk appetite changes. Not only does the risk appetite change with more knowledge and more understanding of the B one one seven variant, we also change the way we accept these trade-offs. In the sense that we know how to control it better, secondly politically and socially and psychologically, even epidemiologically, it becomes unsustainable to um, continue putting up a, a border forever and ever. So then the uh, calculations change and the barriers will come down. And uh, let me project further into the future. Eventually, there will be another variant. Let me call it variant X. We don't have a number yet, but let me call it variant X. Mm-hmm. When variant X comes along, what happens is that countries will instinctively feel the need, oh, we don't understand it, let's drop the variant one more time. And this will be repeated ad nauseum ad infinitum until such a point where we have, the world has an exit strategy and perhaps learns to live with COVID with a combination of vaccines and public health interventions.
1: So, if there are versions of the virus that are more transmissible in the community, will it impact the strategies for surveillance um, and, es- and especially our strategies to curb the spread of the disease?
0: It will. There are many variables at play over here. Of course, and it's not an easy, complicated, uh, very. Uh, it's a very complex situation. But let me try to summarize it and only look at one variable uh, and, to the exclusion of every other variable. I'm, I'm being oversimplifying over here, yeah? So it's not a very fair um, commentary. But if we only look at one variable and that variable is transmissibility and everything else is constant, uh, only transmissibility double, for example, then um, we, we have to change the way we uh, approach public health in Malaysia in several ways. Number one, do we want to uh, increase the level of movement restrictions? Noting we'll thing that uh, there will be a trade-off. And here I'm not suggesting that we need to have a, a permanent MCO Um, at 100% intensity, but can we live with uh, the virus, for example, at 30% movement in restriction intensity indefinitely and 30% is just a number, 100% is just a number as well. That's one thing that probably needs to change. The second thing that needs to change is um, to increase the uh, capacity for testing, not testing for whether or not you have COVID, but the sequencing for what variant of COVID, uh, uh, the COVID-19 virus that you might have. And that requires a... quite a dramatic upgrade of our laboratory system uh, to move towards genetic sequencing. And this is a new conversation, a more advanced conversation than the one that is currently being had about PCR tests and RTK tests. That's the second way that our public health intervention uh, needs to uh, progress. And the third one uh, is it will have some implications on our, uh, for example, vaccine strategy, treatment strategies, uh, and also isolation strategies the moment you are uh, confirmed with uh, having COVID. So these are three examples of uh, public health interventions that will need to change strategies, assuming the transmissibility doubles or triples or whatever the number might be.
1: But, I mean, Sikeng, to use that knowledge to factor in the decisions that we make, Um, it means that we also need to have a system for data collection in place as well, isn't it?
0: That is true. Um, So it's the collection of data that's the first step, and Malaysia needs to obviously improve our collection of data, etc. And we can also rely on uh, the data that comes from other countries because the genetic sequencing and the analysis for Malaysia um, is present, but perhaps not as sophisticated as in other countries. So data collection is one thing. The second element of data collection is that what do you do with that data? And I propose two further steps. One, transparency. Two, informing policy. Transparency is easy, as in uh, what I mean to say is uh, after a year of fighting COVID-19, we can trust Malaysians to be adults with managing data. So it's not just data about the variants and the science behind it so that researchers uh, can do something about this, but communicating this data, making these data sets available. How many patients have you tested? Uh, what are the variants found? And, and what are the clinical characteristics? How does this impact uh, your decision? How do you decide... Um, um, based on the new evidence that has emerged and so on. All that needs to be made transparent to the public. Um, After a year, I think we're all adults about this. uh, And I think uh, the health ministry as well as the government of Malaysia will do better if they share more data rather than uh, keep it to themselves. So you collect the data, you must then share it. And then thirdly, there's no point collecting the data and sharing if you don't actually use it to inform your policy. We learn uh, in uh, well schools of government and uh, in in the academia and so on, right? That and that, uh, policies must be based on evidence. What we mean to say is, is evidence based policy making, and it's not just a rhetorical device, right? That something pleasant to say and uh, nice to hear, but it actually has to be put in writing. So, for one specific example uh, or suggestion could be. Um, uh, a a group of experts to be convened who meet, let me invent, once a month or once every three months and what they do uh, at this pre scheduled time points, they will assess the available evidence and make decisions of whether or not our public health strategies are helpful or trending in the right direction. What I mean to say is I want to introduce predictable time points to make decisions. Example, um, first, day, uh, every three months, for example, uh, as opposed to reacting to decisions when events overtake us. If you insert predictable decision-making time points and use the evidence that you have collected, that would help Malaysia in a multi-year pandemic.
2: Now let's also talk about vaccines. There have been concerns that these new variants could affect the efficacy of the vaccines that are already being rolled out in many countries. What do we know so far about the impact on vaccines?
0: The headline answer to this one is to say that uh, we don't know much yet and evidence continues to emerge. That's the headline answer. Uh, And I think we should wait for some better evidence to come out. After all, it's only been about uh, a month and three, four days, uh, so about 30-something days, and scientists are furiously working, uh, sometimes day and night, to get the answers that we need. So that's my headline answer. I'll provide some more uh, additional commentary, right? Firstly, is to say that uh, the um, Pfizer the Pfizer and BioNTech, uh, whose vaccines will arrive in Malaysia in about in a few weeks' time, have done research on 17 variants, uh, or 16, I think, so I apologise, 16 variants of coronavirus, or SARS-CoV-2, that are circulating today, uh, including uh, some elements of the B117 variant. And uh, the Pfizer BioNTech team tell us uh, that... Uh, 16 of those variants, are, um, or rather, the vaccine protects against 16 of those variants. More specifically, antibodies created by this um, Pfizer BioNTech vaccine uh, has neutralizing ability against 16 of those variants. Um, so, this is helpful, including the B117. So, specifically, the vaccine is protective uh, against the 16 variants. That's helpful. Uh, to know other vaccine companies continue to do their research, uh, and it will take some time for us to for them to demonstrate results. and After the results are demonstrated, it has to be peer reviewed uh, in, a, in a published uh, journal, and we probably probably need larger numbers uh, beyond the tens or hundreds of people uh, or subjects that they have put uh, the trials through. Um, finally, uh, it is for me to end uh, by saying that uh, the available evidence also show us, from a basic science perspective, a reasonably high ability for the vaccines to work against the currently available variants, um, but obviously there's no guarantee that it's going to work against future variants. And you've given enough time, and uh, um, if you have an unsuccessful vaccination program, it can increase something that we called uh, um, escape pressure on the virus to evolve uh, and mutate into to evolve to escape uh, the vaccines' uh, abilities. But if we look at the vaccines, um, there are some costs for uh, some uh, reasonable and guarded optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at the new vaccines of mRNA, they are customizable. Of course, at some, at some cost and with a little bit of research that's needed, we may need multiple funding rounds uh, for multiple variants. But this is projecting three to five years into the future, over that horizon. But the mRNA vaccine is customizable uh, to variants uh, with different genetic mutations. So that's helpful. Number two, um, the old vaccines of inactivated, uh, whole killed vaccines, for example, um, also provide a theoretical cause for optimism because we're talking about the entire vaccine, uh, sorry, virus. So even if you have mutations at 1, 2, 3 points or 10 points on the virus, it's possible that uh, 97 points of the virus remains the same and therefore will still institute a bit of an immunologic reaction that protects against future variants. Of course, we need more data, but those are some, um, say, more colour commentary to the headline that I provided, which is uh, more data is emerging.
2: So, tweaking King, the topic of new variants, especially the more transmissible ones, are often in the headlines these days. Before we let you go, what would you like people to take away when they read news like these, especially if these reports are sensationalised?
0: I will share two final points uh, to end. The first one is philosophical. The second one is very practical. The philosophical one is to say that in public health, there is a very fine balance between raising alarm so that people are aware of a situation and uh, they will take appropriate precautions, and causing panic. Mm. We want to raise alarm, but we do not want to cause panic. Panic is completely useless as a, as a response, uh, and it only uh, complicates matters, uh, um, leads to conspiracy theories and unnecessary anxiety and fear among people. So, it's a very fine balance for public health professionals uh, to raise appropriate alarm without causing panic. And I would urge our friends uh, um, and fellow Malaysians, uh, to be careful about uh, causing panic, uh, either in yourself or in your family or in your WhatsApp chat groups. So uh, let's uh, be mindful that uh, um, this is something that uh, we can generally manage. Let me go to the hyper-practical point to drive home the message about not panicking unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. And this is to go back in history about six months or so, uh, around July when the D614G variant was uh, um, found in Malaysia. Remember that? Of course, mm-hmm. we don't remember that because um, although it was said to be ten times more transmissible at that time, um, we don't remember that right now because it's, uh, it, it, it didn't. Uh, it wasn't, uh, shall we say? Truly impactful on on Malaysia's uh, um, COVID situation. Then now I'm not saying that the B117 uh, will not wreak uh, havoc on our system. Of course, that's a theoretical possibility. But we've been here before. We've been here before with B614G, and what we saw, what we saw with that, the particular experience is that it was ten times, not seventy percent more, but ten times as a thousand percent more transmissible. Even then, uh, it didn't really shake our system. So we've been here before with D614G, we'll be here again with uh, B117, and there'll be variants uh, coming and going, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to manage all of them.
2: Alright, thank you so much. Uh, that was Public Policy Specialist Dr Kors King sharing his thoughts on the new variants of SARS-CoV-2 which are said to be more transmissible but more importantly, his suggestions on how we can change our public health strategies accordingly to continue living with and to adapt to these new variants. Mm. Right now, there's still so much that we don't know but as King said, rather than panic, just stick to what we do know, right? Which is things like wash your hands, wear your mask, and maintain Physical distancing where necessary. Um, don't, uh, and now we can't anyway because of the <laughs> MCO, you know. Um, don't visit uh, crowded places mm-hmm. or go place go uh, uh, travel uh, unnecessarily so that we can all continue to stay safe.
1: Mm, and, and I think it's important for us to remember that it's not just keeping ourselves safe, right? But it's keeping our family members, the older people, the more vulnerable ones safe as well. Because um, even if... A lot of COVID nineteen patients are asymptomatic or have mild symptoms, right? But those with weaker immune system might not be so lucky. Mm, that's right. So, hence the
2: repeated. Eh, sometimes uh, it feels like a broken record to mm. us, but there's a reason why these messages are um, being, uh, you know, told to us repeatedly. The SOPs, the protocols that we're being asked to follow. Um, Can protect transmission, especially when you don't know who among you may, uh, may be carrying the disease. Also, I wanted to point out just very quickly uh, something that uh, Suki mentioned. You know, don't panic and don't spread panic on Mm. social media. Um, Also, I've been seeing some fairly nasty comments um, related to this individual who has been detected in Malaysia with the B one one seven variant. I find that quite unnecessary. Um, The, the um, you know vitriolic language and this fairly you know, discriminatory kind of um, stance towards someone who, um, you know, as Sweet King said, everyone has a right um, to whatever um, has been deemed uh, accessible. Um, you know, if you are somebody living in this country, uh, the right to healthcare, um, he had the right to travel as well. And uh, I just find it um, unfair mm unnecessary and unhelpful to target an attack team like that.
1: Mm, because right now, what we should be doing is learning from that situation, collecting the data that we can so that that can inform our decisions moving forward, you know. And like, so you can also say, it's inevitable that variants will travel mm-hmm. and it's also inevitable that mutations happen so you can't predict where it will happen, you know. One can emerge in, a different one can emerge in every different country and what will you do then, you know. All exactly. we can do is just keep learning what we can mm-hmm. and then hopefully use that to feed into the decisions that we make.
2: Yeah, so um, do share us, uh, do share with us any thoughts you may have on this issue or the earlier topic that we were discussing on the State of Emergency. You can tweet us at BFM Radio or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899.
1: Yes, and unfortunately that's all the time that we have for today's show. Um, if you do want to get in touch with us at The Bigger Picture specifically, you can look us up on Facebook at BFM The Bigger Picture and drop us a message there. If you've missed any part of this show, or the earlier show you can download the podcast at bfm.my slash daily digest on our BFM app or also uh, we're also on a variety of different podcast um, applications such as Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and later coming up at 3pm on Live and Learn Dashan Johan will be speaking to Simpang Rangam MP and former education minister Dr. Mazli Malay on the free online learning platform that he has just launched called Sophia so you can catch that after the news bulletin at 3 um, and that is all from me and Shawik on the Daily Digest. You've been listening to The Bigger Picture, BFM
0: 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.